All right, so uh, we've, we've talked about the reward of discipleship, and uh, maybe some, in some ways this feels a little backwards, but now we're going to talk about the cost. Maybe it is best to talk about the reward first, get us motivated, and then, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, so Sam, Sam Miles, I guess, doesn't need an introduction here, uh, but uh, Pastor's Midtown Baptist Temple, Kansas City. And uh, he's going to come and talk about the cost of discipleship and uh, help us with a tool that we'll, uh, we can implement in our churches to, um, as a precursor to discipleship, so yeah. to help us be more effective. So uh, if you want to pray, you want me to pray. Um, why don't you pray, and when you're praying, pray for me. Let's do it. Yeah, okay. Father, we love you. Uh, we're grateful today. Thank you for what we've heard already this morning. Uh, thank you for Pastor Grace and the, the wisdom that he's sharing with us and the encouragement that he's sharing with us to uh, continue to follow your word and be biblical in our approach to ministry. There's so many temptations that draw us aside to other things and to, to become envious of, of things that appear to be successful. Uh, Father, I pray you'd uh, just take the truths that we've heard today and use them in our lives. Thank you for Sam this morning. Uh, Father, thank you for the way that you're using him at Midtown and the ministry that you've given him there. Thank you for the things that you've taught him about how to be effective in the ministry of biblical discipleship and uh, how to uh, lead and, and multiply. And, uh, Father, I, I pray today that as he speaks, you would use him to communicate those truths to us. May your Holy Spirit speak through him. Uh, may we hear, have ears to hear what you want to say today and allow you to speak into our lives and into our ministries such that we would be able to go away from here and, and implement those things and not just uh, hear the things that need to be done, but we'd be able to go away and do those things and yeah. uh, be more effective for your kingdom and for your glory that our lives and our ministries and our churches would uh, glorify you in a greater way than ever before. Uh, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity. Uh, bless us in this time and we'll give you the honor for it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. I... Uh, have to tell you, it's a real honor and a privilege for me to be able to spend this time with you guys. I have to confess to you, I'm a little bit intimidated, you know, to talk about uh, effective ways to make disciples with a group of people who are dedicated to making disciples. I can't help that by default, it just feels a little bit presumptuous that I'm going to try to add anything to the conversation. It's not like Pastor Grace here who can say, well, you know, discipleship. We've sent out 189 families, 100 and what? 180 families. At that point, I would just drop the mic and walk off, you know, <laughs> like, what, what else are you going to say? Uh, we've sent out one family, Pastor. Uh, we've sent, uh, we sent several families across town, planted a church this last year, sent some families to Tampa, Florida. Uh, so we are in our first steps. Uh, of seeing the fruit, the results of a discipleship ministry, and, and so help us God by his grace, we're going to just keep working at it. We're going to keep going, and we're going to trust the Lord to do what he will do through our obedience to his command. Uh, our, our ministry at MBT, um, you know, I, 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 I explained to uh, some of our, the elders in our church, you know, every year we want to have a Vision Sunday, uh, but we're not going to have a different vision every year. 
we have, the vision has been pr pretty clearly set in God's word. We're going to win souls. We're going to make disciples. This is our game plan. Yep. If you want to know what we're going to try to do at MBT, it's win souls, make disciples. We want to train, equip, and send leaders. Uh, we want to trust the Lord to multiply our ministry. That's the vision, period. And anything that works to support that, that's a good thing. Anything that distracts from that, it must die. <laughs> and so every year, our vision update, our, our vision Sunday is just an update. We give the budget, but we talk about winning souls, making disciples, training, equipping, and sending leaders. Uh, what I want to lay out today, tomorrow, and, and Wednesday is a tool that we use, and, and I want to give you the tool, uh, not even to say that you need to use this, okay? This is a tool that we use, and, and um, we've certainly seen the benefit of implementing uh, a precursor to one-on-one -on -one discipleship in our church. We call it the cost of discipleship, and in a bit I'll explain why we started doing this at our church, and, and the results have been phenomenal. Um, but uh, my goal this morning is to just overview the COD material that we have, but at the same time try to disclose to you what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're doing it at MBT. And, and again, that's not to tell you this is what you need to be doing in your church. If you want it, you've got the material. Um, if you want it, you can have the teacher's edition of the material. This is, uh, well, let me back up just a little bit. This is not in the format that we've ever taught COD, uh, cost of discipleship, COD, let's get that out of the way. Um, this is not the format that we've ever taught COD at MBT, but Tony Godfrey, look, okay, can I just tell you, our fellowship is rich because Tony Godfrey is in the fellowship, okay? That guy led the team to develop the, uh, the new lessons uh, that uh, the Living Faith Fellowship has put out, and they, they all, a lot of people put in a lot of work from a lot of different churches, but Tony was the guy that saw all that through. Tony looked at our material and said, this doesn't look right. This needs to look like the discipleship material. And we're like, oh, yeah, duh. We, we didn't catch that. And, and so what you have is really, in large part, it's the material that we've been teaching for years, but uh, Tony has massaged that, tweaked that, and, and, and condensed that a little bit to make that um, look like what the disciple would see when they sat down with another disciple one-on-one -on -one in the 18 lessons. And so um, if you want to implement it, great. Um, but the main goal that I have is that maybe we can get a little insight into what we're doing at MBT. And my prayer is that it, when, in laying out what we're doing, it'll, it'll in some way help the fellowship overall. Some of you, it'll just really encourage you because you're already doing what you need to be doing, and this will encourage you. It might help sharpen you. It might help you in terms of philosophy or planning. Uh, but you'll hear this, and you'll say, okay, he's preaching to the choir. Uh, it's all good. Others of you, um, I'm praying, um, humbly <laughs> praying, that if, it, you know, if, if it's needed, it'll kick you in the can, and uh, you'll get off your sanctified keister, and you'll actually get to work doing the things that the king has called you to do. Uh, some churches, I've noticed over the years, just effectively, all they do is hold services. They plan from Sunday to Sunday. And the goal is to just increase attendance, increase giving, and in that, there's no, there's no end goal or end game that includes the nations. It's 
you know, what's our church going to look like this time next year? And what a waste. <laughs> that's, a, that's a horrible, horrible waste of God's resources. Churches should be doing the things that produce workers for the harvest. That's what we should be doing, right? It should produce, it should produce uh, the, the people and the resources that multiply ministry, uh, um, you know, in the next county, the next state, around the world. Okay, so a lot of churches hold services, they engage in ministry activity that, you know, it produces attenders, it produces servers for sure, it produces givers, uh, produces a lot of sheep and oxen, but few shepherds. And what we need is we need shepherds to multiply out of our ministries. Others of you, um, you'll hear what I'm laying out and you'll praise God that you're not as backward and behind as we are in Kansas City. Praise the Lord. Uh, some of you, as disciples, I'm praying that this will encourage you to continue to count the cost. Um, God is worth everything. He's worth us laying down our lives, the whole of who we are, all that we have. Um, today, tomorrow, forever. He is worthy of everything. And if we can come to the place where we can justify not laying down the entirety of our life, following God into, in obedience to his word, uh, then we have a form of Christianity, but no reality. There's a form of godliness. A lot of people will call themselves Christians, but they're really living by their own playbook. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. They're going a way that seems right to them. It, it makes sense in terms of their circumstances or what they're going through in the flesh. And there's not a real consideration of the commands of the king. So we're talking about counting the cost. I want to, before we get into the material, talk to you a little bit about the philosophy and the approach of ministry. Pastor Grace said it. This is one of the mottos at MBT. Every member, a minister. Every member has the responsibility to learn the word of God for themselves and then to be schooled, to be practiced in using it to minister in the lives of other people. So we need to, as a church, we need to count the cost of what it means as a church to lay down our lives to produce not just more sheep and oxen, uh, for our local church ministries, but to trust the Lord to reproduce reproducers, to, to shepherd some shepherds, to pastor some pastors and elders and leaders, some disciplers, some ministers, some counselors that will function to multiply ministry. As a church, that means we have to count the cost. We have to, we have to make the decision that says we're not going to just do all of our planning around how to make next Sunday awesome, which is where I just, I'm probably... I'm probably preaching to the choir, uh, but most churches, 90, 95, maybe 100% of their time, their money, their energy, and their planning is all going into next Sunday. And uh, that's heartbreaking because next Sunday isn't the objective. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, that is the objective. Okay, so if we're not, if we're not as a church counting the cost to say, are we doing the things that will reproduce reproducers? Well, then what has to change? And so it can be very uncomfortable for a local church ministry. Um, maybe it's, you know, a lot of guys just wrestle with fear. If I train up pastors and leaders, what's that going to do to my local church? You know, if I get somebody all fired up about multiplying ministry, they're going to actually want to take some of my people, <laughs> which are not, they're not my people, are they? 
they're going to want to take some of my people and they're going to want to go, you know, down the block and, and uh, you know, how pride works. They're going to want to do it better than me. And, of course, you know they can't do it better than you. But um, if they think they can do it better than you, they might convince 20, 30, 40, 50 people in your church that they can do it. In other words, there might be some pride, some fear in that. Uh, I'll give you an example. I had a young man rise up in the ranks of our church, and he said, uh, I think I want to be a pastor. And I'm like, not yet. <laughs> it's not time yet. And uh, he kept leading. He kept growing and uh, pulled me aside, I think, before or after a service and said, uh, man, I've really got a burden to pastor. And, and my spirit bore witness. Oh, my goodness, this guy can pastor better than I can. Why wouldn't I get excited about that? But then he wants to pastor across town. Uh, what do you think the difference is distance-wise in our churches, Dan? Maybe 15 miles? Probably. Um, I'm in the urban core of Kansas City. We've had, in the last half year, we've had three murders on our block and multiple attempted murders on our block, okay? Where we hold services, our kids have had activities where just down the street on our block, there was a drive-by shooting. You know what I mean? And so, so it's not like... 40th and Walnut in Kansas City isn't like the most elegant, it's not the classiest, it's not the easiest, it's not the funnest place to attend church services, but Lee Summit, I mean, come on, Lee Summit, that is one of the booming areas of our metropolis. Okay, so, so what's going to happen whenever we send Dan and we need some families to go with Dan across town to reproduce a disciple-making, right, a soul-winning disciple-making leadership, training, and equipping, and sending church, what's that going to do to Midtown Baptist Temple? Well, whatever God's in, you know, God knows how to make a cake and break just enough eggs, right? Uh, he doesn't have to wreck the whole kitchen to do that. And so can we not just give and trust the Lord that because he's in that process that we'll be blessed as a result? And so let me just maybe lead with a little bit of the carrot up front, we officially commissioned two new local churches last January, a little over a year ago, and we knew what it was going to cost us in terms of people. We knew what it was going to cost us financially. And as a leadership team, we said, okay, this is what God has us in the business to do, to win, train, and equip and send. And if God is in this, well, then God is going to supply us. And quite frankly, we're out of room. So we got a bunch of people that are fired up for the mission. Why won't they go do it somewhere? Where Mary Baker Eddy built our house, by the way. If you don't know who that is, Google it, and you'll understand. She didn't build a facility that would be conducive to our type of ministry. We're always fighting for classroom space. I, I look at what you guys have here, and I'll admit it. I covet. It's not right. I'm not proud of that. But, uh, I, you know, square footage, parking. We have to rent parking. We rent parking spaces. We've had members have their, their cars towed because um, it's just, yeah. It, okay, so we're going to do this, and we're going to send people over to the promised land. Lee Summit, what's that? No, whatever God's in is going to work. We either believe that or we don't. And so in, in November and December, what we were saying as a team is whatever God's in, God is going to provide. And let's just trust the Lord 
Let's get full of faith. Let's trust the Lord to go from faith to faith, from strength to strength. And uh, I'm so grateful that the Lord raised up Dan Renault and Mark Schaefer to go across town and across our nation. Uh, what's been amazing is I thought, okay, I told our people, get ready for a big, long season of depression because we love these people and they're taking a lot of money. <laughs> we love these people. We, we're going to miss having them with us. This is family, you know. Uh, we don't want them to leave because we don't like them, right? This is going to be heartbreaking for us. And so we steeled ourselves for a six-month-long depression, uh, postpartum depression. It's a legit thing. Google it. It's like a real deal. So we're going we're gonna to just embrace that, you know? And uh, we sent them out. Man, we didn't even have time. Uh, I told Dan, it's a good thing that you left because attend within, I, I didn't even have time to check. I checked in the third month in March last year. Okay, what's attendance doing? How is giving? Attendance, average attendance by March, three, two and a half months later, was already higher than it was before we sent them out. And the giving, average giving, was higher than before we sent these two churches out, which means somebody in Dan's crew was embezzling. I know this now. So good luck. I don't know how that's going to work out for you, bro, but good luck. There's a thief in your midst. No, this is, this is God's heart, right? That's the... This is the Lord's kingdom. And so God blesses his business. And so, you know, praise the Lord. But what we had to do is we had to say we're willing to face some uncomfortable prospects as a local church. Uh, what's exciting is behind Dan, there's another 30 to 50 young men. And uh, there's going to be a lot more crying. You know, we're going to say goodbye to a lot more people. And, and it's going to be hard. You know, I... You know, these are people that when they come in, are so, some of these guys are so messed up, you know. They don't know up from down. They don't know their, I mean, they couldn't do business with their Bible if their life depended on it. And then through the ministry, through the process of discipleship and equipping, and then once they get grounded in the word, once they learn ministry philosophy, then you're willing to put them in the game and to put them to work in the lives of people. That's another cost that the church will count. Okay, so for the church that says Sunday is the most important day of the week, well, they're not going to trust important stuff to the buffoons that attend their church, right? We're not going to let these idiots mess stuff up. Okay, so it's a very, you know, very controlled situation, but you've got to decide, right? I'm going to have faith. I'm not going to fall prey to pragmatism. Another grave, grave pitfall in the church today. People are walking away from faith in what the Bible says works in ministry to uh, what do men need to do in order to do things right and with professionalism and, you know, to make it first class? And, and so instead of empowering their people to take the word of God, right, to, to get the football and run for the end zone, uh, why don't you just stay sitting in the stands and watch the pros do the work? Okay, well, it's fun to watch, and especially if your team is winning. And a lot, I mean, we live in a day where everybody loves to be a spectator, uh, but it's more fun on the field. You know, that's where the action is. And you just got to decide. I mean, are, are we going to get full of faith and say, okay, the people that we're training up are going to get the, the ministry responsibility? At some point, somebody's going to get your job. Uh, 
why not while you're there to make sure they don't totally mess everything up and to coach them and to cheer them and to encourage them and to, and to do the dissecting when things do come apart, to, to, to help them improve their game so that next time, uh, you know, more, more winning gets done. Churches have to divorce themselves from a, a cynical, pragmatic view that says, you know, these principles in God's word, yeah, those are truth and those are good, but that's not enough. Uh, we've we've got to be sharp. We've got to be professional. Uh, we've got we to meet people where they're at. And by that, you know, we've got to have state-of-the-art facilities. We've got to have incredible processes. We've got to have, you know, churches have to look like country clubs. And, and, uh, and, and again, it, you know, it's a very nice building. I'm not knocking your building, Pastor Joe. Uh, I, again, I covet it. But uh, these aren't the keys, right? There are lives being changed under trees today you know, in coffee shops. Uh, so we got to have faith that what the Word of God lays out actually works. And if it doesn't, then I still want to go down on that ship. I want to go down in faith, trusting the Word of God to be a reality in my life and the lives of the people that I'm privileged to lead. Okay, so part of a church counting the cost for a discipleship ministry is to say, so help us God, by his grace, every member in this place is going to be a minister. Now, that won't happen because not every member is truly a member, <laughs> right? A lot of people like to call themselves members, but all they are are attenders. Uh, not everybody is an edifier. Not everybody is a producer. Some people come in and they're leeches, and that's okay. Uh, some people are immature. That's also okay. Whenever you bring a new baby home, they're a self-centered, selfish little me monster. They're a leech. Uh, the universe revolves around them, and it's precious, it's adorable, because look at it, it's a baby, it's cute. If they're still doing it when they're 40, I'm pretty sure you've kicked them out of your home. <laughs> you know, at some point, it becomes untenable, failure to launch. Well, we have that in our churches. A lot of people, they come in, and their world's falling apart, the universe revolves around them, they squall a lot, that's okay, that's where they're at. That means the church is doing its job, more babes and Christ are coming into the nursery. But the goal of discipleship is to bring people out of spiritual infancy into spiritual maturity, spiritual leadership. Okay, so as a staff, as a church, as a body, we've got to have a vision, a vision for multiplication that says every member will learn the word of God for themselves. And is that accessible? Does every member actually see that they can learn the word of God in this place? In other words, a lot of times, I've noticed this over the years, in a lot of churches, pastors will talk about the need to learn the Word of God, and by that default, it must mean just keep coming on Sunday, because there's no real plan, there's no real process for growth, okay? There's not, there's no, there's, in our, you know, probably I should have had, I'll, I'll have it tomorrow, I'll show you the sign that we have in our lobby, it's a very simple thing, but we're showing people from salvation to ascent one, here is the plan. Here's the process for growth. Here is how you will learn God's word for yourself. But then we also need to challenge them to lay down their lives living it out. In churches, it is very dangerous for us. We can forget that every member is to be account accountable and qualified to be a part of building God's kingdom. And yes, different members have different gifting. Okay, I get that. But we talked about the importance of the judgment seat of Christ this morning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 
Paul lays out the judgment seat of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 3, look at verse 12. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12. Okay, I was freezing. And I know it's not just the lights and the, like, this isn't the first. The heater kicked on, didn't it? Yeah, okay, so excuse me while I get a little naked. I apologize. Just, yeah, only a little. Thank you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 says, If what man? Any man. Build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. stubble. Verse 13, which man? Everything. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try whose work? Every man's work, of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a, war, a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So every member is to be qualified for the work and accountable to the work. Right? Every member is accountable. The judgment seat of Christ is coming. And we're all going to give an answer for this incredible, precious treasure that's been entrusted to us. What have we done with the gospel of Jesus Christ? What have we done with the precious words of our Lord? How have we invested it for the glory of God? We're to be accountable, but we're also to be qualified. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is judgment seat of Christ. Now look at how that should translate into ministry in chapter 4. Every member is to know and faithfully steward God's word. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1 says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We are required to steward, to manage God's word. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So we're to be qualified to handle the word of God. But the trend, like I said before, more and more is uh, churches want professionals running the ministry. And so more and more in this day and age, the real work of the ministry has to be done by the pros, leaving more and more of the grunt work to be done by the the membership. So in a lot of churches, what they're saying is, is we need every member to be a, I mean, every member needs to be a part. Every member needs to contribute to the mission and the vision of this local church. And by that, we mean, please keep attending, help us run our nursery, help us with setup, tear down. In some cases, in in some churches, nobody even has to bother with cleaning. If you'll just give enough money, we'll we'll even take care of that. We'll hire professionals to clean the church building. Again, if professionals are cleaning your building, I'm not knocking that. We just don't have the budget for it. So, (laughs) you know, everything that the members are doing, uh, it is all of the grunt work. Give and make sure that the low-level processes are supported through your service. Does that make sense? So the idea isn't to equip every member for pastoral-level ministry. No, that is for the pros, and you guys know this. Revelation chapter 2 says it's a real shame to hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, right? The conquest of the laity, right? The the victor over the people, the clergy, the pastors over the people. We have to guard against that because that is the spirit of our age. And even in churches like this that believe every member is a minister, if we don't watch out, we will drift that way. We will drift toward a more professional approach to our local church ministry. Does this make sense to you guys? Um, If we're not 
if we're not swimming against that current, if we're not fighting against that drift, um, if we grow lax, then what we'll do is we'll say, well, you know, it's just hard to get good help. And uh, it looks like giving's good. Maybe we can add another salary. We can add another salary line. Okay. Church staff is, in one sense, in terms of developing ministry leaders, we want to think about it in terms of it being a necessary evil. I'm not saying our church staffs are evil. Uh, but the, the answer to every problem in a church isn't getting somebody in, right? Hiring somebody on, bringing somebody on staff so that these needs will be met. No, we've read Ephesians chapter 4. We either believe this or we don't. And the solutions and the resources are in the local church so that the whole body can be edified in the love of Christ, or it's not. The God is either true or it's false. Okay, with all of my heart, I believe the word of God. Every word of God is pure, right? It is absolutely 100% the very words of God. And if God says what is required at Midtown Baptist Temple to see it built up, to see it edified in the faith so that it doesn't fall for all the crazy doctrine that's out there, so that it will be conformed, it will grow up into its head, it will be mature in Christ, that it can edify itself in love, then all those resources are there. The question is, is do I have faith in that biblical principle or not? If I have faith in that, yes, there's gonna have to, we're going to have to have staff requirements. Why? Because we need to be supporting the ministers of our church. Do you see that? So in other words, the, in a very real sense, what we're striving for at MBT is to make sure that MBT, well, the leadership of MBT, is leading the local church ministries. And the goal of the pastors is to train the pastors and to counsel counselors and to develop and disciple disciplers to minister to and train ministers so that they can lead the ministries of the local church. A lot of churches, uh, a lot of pastors play at church. They hold services Sunday to Sunday, and it's no difference. The adult version of little kids playing house. Um, I hope I didn't offend anybody. <laughs> Don't fall in the trap of just worrying about next Sunday. You're going to survive a bad service every once in a while. You're going to survive that. Don't fall into the trap that next Sunday has to be this beautifully choreographed, perfectly scripted, uh, wonder. And again, I'm all about it. We hold an, we we put together an order of service every week. I mean, whenever you're training a church of ministers. Uh, something happens. The first time a guy gets the mic, he's, <laughs> you know, it's awful. It really is. But it's precious. You know, it's like a newborn baby calf, you know, everything's, <laughs> it's just awesome. Uh, three weeks later, you can't shut the guy up. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's just how the thing rolls. Okay, so we do an order of service. We put times on there. We're not tied to it. Um, so I get that. But the services don't have to be these beautifully crafted, super invested thing. Man, there's just something amazing that happens when God's people come together to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And when the word of God gets open and everybody, their heart, their mind, their soul is fixed on the light of God's word, it's just a good time. And the people are edified when people know that they've been, you know, the, the scriptures have been obeyed. They've come together. They've provoked one another to love and good works. Christ has met with us. He's in the midst. We're gathered in his name. The word of God has done the work, and, and, and we met with God, with one another. We met with God today, and it's just awesome. They, Christians cannot get enough of that. It's a, it's a taste of heaven, you know? 
And that's a good sign of a healthy church. You know, the message is over, and a couple hours later, you're telling people, hey, look, we've got to lock this thing up. You know, take it to the restaurant. Why? Because it's a little piece of heaven on earth. Just fellowship together is sweet. So don't, don't fall into the trap of thinking, man, if we, you know, we put these junior ministers, these newly qualified, newly trained, these trainees, if we put them in, on the field, you know, on Sunday, in our key ministries, what if they mess up? Well, yeah, they're going to mess up. Sure. Praise the Lord. Yeah, it's, 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 it's fun to work through the mess-ups. It's fun to watch them grow. It's fun to watch people develop. Okay, so this morning, we want to make sure that we see what is the mark, right? What is the hill that God's word is calling us to take? And with all my heart, I believe it's a very clear, it's a very constant, it's a very consistent call. Uh, the, the vision for the church should be we exist, uh, you know, and again, it's true. There's a, lo- there's a lot of, there's a thousand ways that we could describe it in terms of what we are as a church. But in terms of what should come out of that, in terms of our activity, we should be winning souls. We should be making disciples. We should be training, equipping, and sending leaders. And if we're not doing that, we have a form of churchiness, but no reality. It's probably not the right way to say that. <laughs> there's, a, there's a form that can be sold as biblical, but it falls short. Okay, so every member, a minister, is a drum that we always beat at MBT. Um, not always in those words, but always and consistently that message. Why? Well, because as a pastor... My goal has to be that every single person that visits MBT has the opportunity to be rich at the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, With all my heart, I believe that's my job. And if we will, as a church, win, train, and send, then everybody can be a part of that. Not everybody will be sent, but everybody can be part of that winning, training, and sending process. There is no reason why every member of MBT shouldn't be filthy, stinking rich at the judgment seat of Christ. I know we're going to suffer a lot of loss. I get the day and age that we live in. <laughs> I know that I will suffer a lot of loss, but I don't, I don't know about you. But I want there to be people bowing their knee and with their tongue confessing Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords because somewhere in that process, God used me to make sure they got there so that they could bow and proclaim him for who he is. I don't even care if they ever know my name, but if I can just be a part of seeing the nations, every every family of earth, every tribe, every tongue, praising the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, and I had a part in that, oh my goodness, Um, I will have, I mean, just knowing God is enough to rejoice for all of eternity, but to be a part for somebody else to have that too is, uh, what else, I mean, you see that, what else are you going to do with your life? Come on, I'm not going to waste it some Fortune 500 company. I mean, and if you're in a Fortune 500 company, praise the Lord. You have resources to help make that happen. <laughs> and uh, don't settle for just sending your cash to do your job. Every member is to be a minister. So, people need a vision for the judgment seat of Christ that they can be equipped because they are accountable for every word. They're able to move forward in faith to make a difference for the glory of Christ. Okay, so here's how this philosophy, uh, this insight that we had as a local church, 
translated to our discipleship ministry. Okay, so I need to go back a little bit. Uh, I hope this is okay. Um, I am in large part in ministry today because Pastor Alan Shelby, who is hiding in the overflow room, isn't he? Because it's so crowded in here. Sorry, Alan. (laughs) I think you have tables there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, Alan, there was, fo- there was four of us guys that Alan just grabbed, and he said, hey, I'm starting a group at my house. It's the same thing. It's your Friday night deal. And uh, I couldn't believe it. It's like, I didn't even know he really knew I existed. <laughs> it's just really cool. The pastor is asking me to come hang with him. And uh, I jumped on that like a duck on a June bug, you know. And... Uh, we just started going through the Bible together, and uh, I had to study for that. I had to get ready for that, and, and then we'd start teaching it to one another and then preaching it to one another, and I and, uh, went through discipleship, and by the time I started our Bible Institute, um, me and my buddies, every time Alan would go out of town, every time he was on a trip, he would bring somebody in to preach, and finally, we just got fed up with that. <laughs> So in a very, like, careful way, we go up to Alan. We're like, hey, uh, Alan, uh, I know you're going out of town next month, and, and uh, please don't bring somebody in. Don't do that. Let one of us, like, we're ready. Let one of us, uh, you've been investing in us, you've been training us. Can, can we share, can we give some of that back? And, and uh, Alan's like, okay. I think he was just waiting for us to, to ask. Yeah, yeah, oh, that sounds great. And so he started rotating us in in the ministry. And, you know, over the course of time, the ministry responsibility that we had was, I mean, I'm working a sales job, but before I know it, in different forms, in different ways, I'm leading 125, 150 people in ministry in my local church. You know, it was just an incredible thing. Well, then uh, I was uh, the discipleship head. I was a discipleship leader for Pastor Alan Shelby in the college and career class at that time. Um, the church decided to start a new college ministry, and so I, with uh, a group of people, started the college ministry at KCBT. And we were obviously very committed to a discipleship ministry, and one of the things that I learned very quickly is that I had to encourage my disciples all the time. Why? Uh, because for every 10 people that you know, say, I have decided to follow Jesus, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No, they're lying. (laughs) They're absolutely straight out lying. They don't know that they're lying, but they're lying. They are false prophets. (laughs) Nine out of ten people who say, I want to be discipled, actually don't. Okay? And so, because of where I was at at the time, I'm like, hey, look. What's the command of Scripture? I mean... Hello, we've read 2 Timothy 2 too, right? Um, it takes a while to find a faithful man. <laughs> that's, that's just the end game. And so if we had to, if you had to disciple 100 people and fail 100 times, and if you had to get your heart broken, right? If, if you've got to be heartbroken nine times in order for one to see the goals of discipleship established in their life, is that worth it? Is it worth it to build a relationship, pour your heart, pour your life into this other soul, Right? Give, them your, give them your heart, only to just have it broken, that be trampled uh, with their refusal to just simply follow the word of God. 
Isn't it worth going through nine to get one person that says, I'm really going to follow the Lord with my life. I'm going to lay my life down following Christ, not according to my opinions or how I feel, but according to what the book says. Isn't it worth getting heartbroken nine times for just one point of rejoicing? Over and over again, Paul is saying, you're my crown of rejoicing at the judgment seat of Christ. You're the big deal to me in that day, you know? Isn't it worth it to have just that, if all your life, to be able to just point at one person, if it took you your whole life to find one disciple, to be able to point at one person and say, you're my crown of rejoicing. Wouldn't that be worth it? And so I still believe that with all my heart. I still preach that. I still teach that. I try to still encourage our disciples with that. Um, but it's hard <laughs> watching the core of your church get their heart broke over and over again and get discouraged. And, and one of the things that I noticed is every once in a while somebody would say, Pastor, I need a break. <laughs> and the whole time you're wondering, is it the quality of our disciples that we're struggling with? You know, is that what it is? Is it, the, is it just the spirit of the age, the day that we live in? Do people just suck more now? Um, wait, this is Atlanta. I don't, can I, I can say that in Kansas City. Is suck a cuss word? Almost. Okay. Do do people do people vacuum more <laughs> in in this generation? You know, I don't know. You know, I really don't. Okay. So we, because I got tired of watching my disciples get discouraged all the time. Um, this was probably two, maybe three years into our ministry. We said, we need to have a precursor to our discipleship program. And so we started talking about that. We had a guy who had just come on staff. And uh, his father-in-law is pastor missionary Paul Clark in Colombia, uh, in, in the nation of Colombia. And, and they discovered this same problem. And what they did is they started a class up front to take people through the same passage we were looking at, Luke 14. We said we want to walk our people through Luke 14 before we actually pair them up with someone. We want to make sure that they know it's okay to take the chicken exit before we actually waste somebody's time uh, and, and, and money and love and emotion and energy on trying to pour the word of God into this person. And so we looked at his material. We looked at what we were developing. And then what happened was is we developed a very simple, about a two-hour study called The Cost of Discipleship. That study um, has grown. It's developed over the years into the form that you see today. And it's to support our disciples. How it started was to, it really just to support our disciples up front. But it's, we've realized it's so much more than that. Um, you know, I was willing, you know, even if we didn't have the cost of discipleship material, we would still be going through 10 people to get one. Why? Because it's worth it. Uh, anything, any ministry uh, initiative, any ministry plan that you work hard is going to work, right? I mean, it just will. Uh, if it's biblical, if it's according to God's word, if it's according to the instruction that we've been given, even if you don't know how to do it right, <laughs> even if you don't know how to do it with perfection, with flair, with elegance and grace. Just be obedient. God's going to bless that obedience. And if it takes nine, ten tries to get one uh, firing, you know, disciple, disciple firing on all cylinders, that's worth it, okay? 
Um, but we decided to double down, and, and we started taking our people through Luke 14 to prep them, to warn them, to charge them. And if you're willing to lay down your life, if you can say to us uh, as a leadership team, as a ministry, I'm ready to lay down my life following Christ according to his word, not my opinions or how I feel or my circumstances. No, I'm ready to learn how to live my life according to what the book says. Then great. Now we're ready to pair you up with someone. And if you're not, if you hear all of this, and after you count the cost, you're like, whoa, 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 I don't know if I'm ready for this. Great. Thank you for saving our time, our energy, our emotion. <laughs> we love you. Keep coming. And we fall all over ourselves to, to invite people to continue. Let the word do the work. If you're at a place where you don't feel like you're able to commit to this, we love you. We want you here. We know that God is at work. Sometimes it's a process of counting the cost. We've had people who have taken the cost of discipleship class, and they said, Pastor, we're not ready, uh, and then come back a year later and say, all right, I'm done doing this my way. <laughs> i got to learn the Word of God for myself. I need to learn how to live it out of my life. Uh, beautiful. What a beautiful thing for somebody to actually work through that process, and it's been great for our disciplers. Uh, in the early days, I taught it. I picked that up because I... There we go. In the early days, I taught it. I taught every class. And then uh, we had a young man in our church teaching it. Pastor Morgan came. When he came on staff, he began to organize and direct that. Uh, he developed the study some more. Um, we worked on it. Uh, we developed it some more in anticipation of teaching it in Malawi with the churches there. Um, and then it's been, again, developed and tweaked for the fellowship for this conference. And so this is the material that we teach. Uh, now it is taught, Pastor Morgan doesn't teach cost of discipleship anymore. We've got guys who are now in our Bible school teaching the cost of discipleship class. They're the ones who are, who are throwing down the gauntlet. You know, they're, they're leading the charge and calling people that want to be disciples of Christ. We talk about discipleship all the time. It's part of the altar call all the time. So people are always responding. We have a discipleship kiosk in our, libel, uh, in our, libel, in our lobby. And um, so there's people all the time that want to be discipled. Well, you got to go to the class first. You need to count the cost. We want you with us but you need to hear from some of these other leaders who have counted the cost, who are growing as disciples before we start you in this formalized process of discipleship. And so, again, this goes back to the philosophy of ministry as a local church. Our growing leaders are the ones who have the responsibility now to make sure that the ministry stays on track. Why? Because eventually I'll grow old and die. I won't be the pastor of Midtown Baptist Temple, and it'd be good to know that there are some qualified, experienced ministers that are just continuing to do what they're trained to do. Amen? Okay, so um, I'm going to walk you through this, but let me just say this. We went from 9 out of 10 flunking out of discipleship. Once we implemented this class, once we poured on the Luke 14 heat, and, and ask people to soberly, seriously reflect on what it means, what the Lord Jesus himself says it actually means to be a disciple of Christ. 
we went from nine out of 10 flunking to three out of four making it. It dramatically changed the nature of our discipleship ministry. Does that make sense? Um, three out of every four people are functioning in ministry with us. Three out of every four people that disciple are in the word with us. They're in ministry leadership with us. And what's beautiful now is, is they understand it, they're not going through a little Bible study with someone. When you plug into discipleship, okay, after counting the cost, uh, you're not done until you know the word of God for yourself because, again, you're accountable to know it, right? You're going to be giving an account, and then you're to steward it, right? You, you have the responsibility uh, to invest that into the lives of other people. So you need to know it cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. You need to know the book. And so whenever they finish discipleship, they immediately sign up for our D2, which is our first Bible school class. Um, I'll, uh, I'll give you some stats. Uh, here it is in a nutshell. If you add up, not that numbers really matter a whole lot, but, but they are encouraging if they're good, <laughs> you know. Um, you add up all the numbers of everyone who has been discipled, if they've been discipled, if they're serving in ministry somewhere, if they're discipling, if they're in the equipping process, right, if they're um, in our Bible school, if you add up everyone that's on this path of growth, that's a part of facilitating this path for growth, three-fourths of our church is participating in the edification of our church, which is, I think, a very healthy number because you want new people coming in. And you don't want them participating <laughs> in the growth process yet. They need to actually be in that funnel. Does that make sense? Like you never, if, you're, if the church is doing her job, you don't want 100% uh, of the church leading, you know, ministering, counseling, discipling. Okay, so um, we've got new people coming into, into the church all the time. Now in terms of active participation in discipleship itself, we added up the numbers in preparation for this conference. And it's amazing. Half the church is actively a part of our discipleship process. You know, the actual discipleship tools that we have in place, whether it's going through them or investing those tools in the life of a growing disciple. Praise the Lord. Okay. I am personally convinced that the reason we're getting those kind of results in our church is because we're hitting cost of discipleship really hard. Um, we want the spit to fly. <laughs> We're bringing the thunder up front. Uh, we have a kind of a no-holds-barred approach to this. Uh, when people come out of it, it's, I, I get it. I have to lay down my life pursuing this. This is the life that God called me to. You guys know how this works, right? Somebody signs up for discipleship. I'm going to follow Jesus. This is great. Oh, I got a discipler. It's so cool. It's like a purse. Look at my new Gucci bag, you know? So cool. I got the ultimate accessory in our local church. And then, you know, the boyfriend calls. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't care less about her last month, but this month she's like the sexiest thing walking. You know, the old girlfriend calls, uh, um, tra job transfer. It's just amazing. Anything to get that new disciple as far away from that discipleship ministry as possible. Uh, so we talk about all of that up front before we get into pairing people up. So let's, in the few minutes that we have left, let me 
we don't have time to walk through everything, uh, and I think that's okay. I know uh, who this group is. You could actually just take this outline and uh, you would be fine. And so really my ultimate goal is to, we'll just kind of overview this. Uh, we'll overview this material and I'll just interject here and there and I'll explain what we're teaching and why we're teaching it. And uh, you guys will be able to work out the details. Does that sound good? Okay, and if there's something, and please, I, I want this to be informal. Hopefully tomorrow and uh, on Wednesday, we're running tight on time today but maybe tomorrow and Wednesday, we can save a little bit of time at the end of each session for any questions. And so if we can, maybe, maybe we can do that for a couple minutes today. Um, okay, so that's the overview page. You know, this should look familiar to you if you've seen the discipleship lessons. And let me just say this, because this was just reorganized, uh, there is already a couple things that I think I would like to still tweak. Let's call this draft A right, our first official draft of the cost of discipleship. So if you see typos, if you see a better verse for a point, if you see something, any suggestion that you would have at this point, I've gotten it back from Tony, uh, email those to me, and then uh, I'll make those tweaks, those adjustments, and, and uh, we will at some point post a finalized version, student and teacher's manual for COD. Uh, so this, you know, obviously is going to help prep people for the material, the discipleship material that's going to be coming. Um, people talk about what it means to be a disciple, and, and they want to equate that with being a believer in Christ or being a, a Christian. And like we heard in the last session, a disciple is a follower, not just any kind of follower. You don't get to follow the Jesus of your own imagination. You don't get to follow according to what you feel or think is most appropriate for your set of special circumstances. You know, I know what the Bible says, but you don't understand we really love each other. No, no, we don't understand that, okay? No, you're going to lay down your life following God according to what he says, which means you've got to learn to rightly divide the word truth. you just got to do that. Otherwise, you're going to be a nincompoop, doctrinally, which means you're going to be a nincompoop in terms of your relationship with the Lord and how you live out that relationship in this world. And so... A disciple is a follower, and so that is the key word of the lesson. I can't disciple somebody if they're not saved, and so I'm going very fast. We're on page three already. How many pages did George cover in his notes? i got to beat him. He's already trashed me, 180 families. <laughs> no, praise the Lord. Uh, we're going we're gonna to go through this very quickly. we got to make sure that people are saved, right? they got to be born again. And so it's really great. Uh, hey, you want to be discipled? That's great. We'll say that to anyone. You need to go to the cost of discipleship. Your next step is the cost of discipleship. Why? Because right out of the chute, we want to make sure that people know that they need a right relationship with the Lord. And you can only be reconciled with the Father, with God, through the finished work of Christ at Calvary. It's not through the works of righteousness that you've done. It's not because God's a good guy and he's going to have to let you in heaven because your good outweighs your bad or because you go to the right church, you have the right religious pedigree. No, have you come to the place where you recognize you're a wicked sinner and that you have to be saved by the grace of God? And then are you, do you have faith in the gospel? Is it the power of God unto salvation for you or not? Can you say that you have submitted your life, the whole of your life, your eternity, your sin, your wickedness, your shame, has all of that been taken by your sin bearer, the Lord Jesus Christ, and has it been crucified at the cross of Calvary? Did Jesus Christ die for your sin when he rose again on the third day? 
that isn't just some abstract, really cool, neat thing. No, no, no. You can't pray to a corpse for salvation. <laughs> he is a risen Savior. Have you called on the name of the Lord for salvation? So we work through all of that on page, page, um, oh, look, we're already on page, we're already on page six. So we work through all of that, right? So again, I, we'll slow down when <laughs> we get into the material. Uh, we we want to make sure they understand the doctrine of salvation. And again, um, I this gets into maybe other ministry philosophy, but I am terrified at taking a minute or two to give the gospel and then leading somebody in the sinner's prayer. If I feel led of the Spirit to do that, um, I I would. I'm just saying I haven't felt that. <laughs> okay, I'm very terrified at the idea. And again, I'm not against confrontation evangelism. I think it's great to get out on the street. I think it's great to go to door, door to door. We do all of that. Okay? We, I grew up hearing that door to door doesn't work anymore. Well, I don't know. We go door to door. We invite people to come to church. Sometimes we get to pray with people. Sometimes we get to lead them to Christ. Sometimes they come to our church and then we get to disciple them. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think getting out and meeting people is a wonderful thing. Um, but more and more, I much prefer to say, I want to take, I want to share the gospel with somebody over a weekly Bible study, right? I want to start in Genesis and end up at Jesus. I want to start at creation, and I want to walk them through key passages so that whenever it comes time to look at the gospel itself, they've got the backstory. You know, a lot of people quote Romans chapter 10 as the way of salvation, and we don't take the time to explain the chapters that precede it. Why are you calling on the name of the Lord to be saved? Okay, well, all of that explanation is there. It takes time to explain this. And so, um, you know, take this for what it is. It's a sample prayer guide, uh, a prayer. We know Jesus saves. A prayer doesn't save. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But the point is, is, and we explain this in our COD material, has there been a time when you've called on the name of the Lord for all of these reasons, your sins separate you from this holy God that we described in these first pages. Uh, you believe that the sin bearer, the Lord Jesus, his finished work at Calvary, absolutely satisfies God's wrath. Are you believing on that? Are you entrusting your life to that? And, and if you are in repentance, calling on the name of the Lord for salvation, guess what? So we finish up with um, eternal security. Right? We want to make sure. Uh, so we, this, in one sense, is a very much a pre-soak then for the lesson on salvation in Discipleship 1. Does that make sense? So you are saved now, right? If you're a believer in Christ, you're sealed until the day of redemption. You're seated with him in heavenly places. This world is no longer your home, and you're spared from the wrath to come. You have eternal security. And then we talk about, okay, it's great to know him as Savior, but he is still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we're going to talk about laying our lives down, now following him according to his word. So on page 7, we talk about seeing Christ for who he is in all of his glory. Once you see him for who he is, God for who he is, that means now you're going to submit to what he says. A lot of the problems that we have in our churches where people can read the Bible and then go ignore it in terms of how they live their life is they don't actually believe that Jesus is the God who is described in the Word of God. They don't actually think that they're going to be accountable. Like, like uh, you know, I, 
go to. I do have today. I do have tomorrow. I am going to live out my life, my plans, and somehow it's just going to all magically uh, work out because I say so. Are, are you kidding me? Once you see God for who he is, now you're going to lay down your life, not according to how you feel or your extenuating circumstances or what has been done to you or against you, uh, that long list of excuses for why I know what the Bible says, but here are my special circumstances. For I mean, this is our big battle in discipleship, isn't it? Everybody has all these special circumstances, all these particular problems that somehow are magically unique to them, except that everybody has these kind of things. And when are we going to come to the place where we're going to say, God, you said it, that settles it. By your grace, I'm going to believe it and live it out of my life. Your word will be made reality in my life by your grace. Lord, by your word, by your spirit, I'm going to walk in obedience to your word. And so that's what we'll be talking about then over the next couple of days. I think this might be a good, because we finish at 12, so we've got about six or seven minutes. Um, does anybody have a question about anything that we've described this morning, whether it's uh, maybe our approach to ministry, um, reasons for the COD material, um, uh, development of the material, what, any, any questions? If we have that, I think this is a good stopping point. Uh, we'll pick it up here and move forward tomorrow. Check, check, check. Yeah, um, yeah. You, know, you win somebody to Christ, uh, let's say in the church, outside the church, uh, soul winning, and your, your initial step in, in moving them to COD, is it is that next point? Are you meeting with them individually and then working up to that introduction of that class? Like let's say you win them on a Tuesday. And you say, well, hey, you know what, I want to talk to you, and I'm going to see you in church on Wednesday, I'll see you on Sunday. Or do you have a one-on-one -on -one at that point in time and sort of say, hey, you know what, I want to sort of give you an expectation, because you don't want to overload them that first day. They've just gotten to say, hey, man, praise the Lord, you know, we're exchanging numbers, you're ready to move forward. At what point do you introduce that COD class? Yeah, okay, so I don't, I don't actually talk to a lot of people about it. I, I will from the pulpit. Um, but what's really cool is, in terms of this approach, is everybody's talking to them about it, you know? Um, like everybody understands the path for growth. Okay, so let's back up just a little bit. Um, we have people that will go out and do evangelism. Uh, we print up tracks. Um, you know, I'm not against any of that, but again, um, I, this has been several years ago now, I got tired of hearing people talk about professions of faith and they'd come up, oh, pastor, we were out on the plaza. We were in Westport last night, and, and uh, we, were, we were, you know, sharing our faith. And, and three people professed Christ as the Lord and Savior. And I'd be like, oh, that's awesome. Where are they? <laughs> They're not coming, okay? And again, I don't doubt that some of these lives, some of these souls have been changed forever, and, and that will be reward, that will be fruit at the judgment seat of, of Christ. But... As a church, as a ministry, we need to do the things that produce the results that the king commands. So we need to win souls, and somehow that soul needs to be discipleable. okay? Well, if it's a soul that we met in transition out on the street, um, you can trade numbers and stuff, but they don't know you, you don't know them, and frankly, you know, for some people it's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear what they said, but I don't know if I want that person in my life, you know? Um... So, you know, I know people have mixed views on all the details of the ministry, but uh, just some incredible things, man. I praise the Lord for uh, 
a lot of the things that have come out of the Graham evangelistic ministry, one of them is this simple little tool called the Andrew List. Okay, can you, well, we always pick seven, okay, seven people to pray for, and we'll typically do it on a quarterly basis, you know. Uh, right now, we're in the middle of a quarter of praying for seven lost people. And so in our Tuesday night prayer ministry meetings, that's our midweek service, um, we have a kingdom agenda. It's a kingdom focus. We'll pray for bunions and back aches and that kind of thing, but rarely. The, the main objective is, um, you know, these big biblical themes, you know, unity in the church. Families that pray together, do we know this quote? Yeah, stay together. We pray together, okay? That's a big deal. Um, we'll pray for the lost. We'll pray for the pulpit ministry. We'll pray for the discipleship ministry. Okay, so we're, we're halfway through this season of praying for seven lost people. Okay, last Tuesday night was our missionary prayer night. The Tuesday before that, I didn't even get time to preach, okay? Because we regularly do testimonies. I said, okay, uh, let's hear how it's going praying for the lost, uh, what's so exciting then is there's people all over the auditorium with their hand up, and some of them are like, you really got to hear my, you know. And so we ended up spending the whole, can you imagine? You spend the whole, we, it's an hour and a half service, our corporate prayer meeting. We spent about 30 of it getting our praise on. Um, but the rest of the time was spent, everybody hearing everybody's testimony about how these people that I started praying for four weeks ago, here are the doors that got opened. Here's how this person got saved. It's just so, it's just exciting. It's really, really awesome. And it's super edifying for the rest of the church family. Okay, so in the early days when we started doing that, you know, maybe there'd be four or five testimonies. Still, woo, you know, I mean, it's just, everybody's jumping and shouting and, and, and praising the Lord for it. Okay, well, what that, translates into the way we're praying for the lost primarily is we're asking the Lord for open doors, doors of utterance so that we can get involved in the life of the lost. Okay, so what that looks like is I don't want to just spend five minutes sharing the gospel. I want to spend five weeks or five months. And so what we do is, and I think everybody's familiar with creation of Christ. Um, it can be a 10 Bible study series of lessons, or it could be a 20 or a 30, and you start out in Genesis, and you work through select passages, and you get to Jesus, from creation to Christ, uh, from Genesis to the Gospel of John, so that they understand God's original plan, how man messed it up. We have an adversary. The picture of sacrifice in Genesis chapter 22, Isaiah 53, you know, we're just walking through these passages with Bible studies that lost people want to attend. And so these can be in small groups, these can be one-on-one. -on -one. And what happens now is, to your point, is these people come in and they're already primed for discipleship. They've been in a weekly Bible study now for several weeks leading up to their first visit to our local church. So this person gets saved and they're like, now what? I want, you gotta come to church with me, <laughs> you know? So the pump's kind of already primed whenever they show up. Now again, we have people coming to Christ through confrontational evangelism, you know, that kind of thing. But more and more now we're seeing people coming through these Bible studies. Uh, the kids are getting in on it. My son, when he was a, a, a sophomore, trusted the Lord for a Bible study. And um, then we started giving this kid 
a ride. He's one kid, you know. We started giving him a ride to church every week. Kid's been riding with us now for three years to church. And the way his mind worked is, is he was done, right? I, I got my Bible study. Woohoo! This guy's in church with me now, and like he was done for the year or something. Uh, and then the next year, he's like, okay, he's a junior in high school, and he's like, who, who, who next, Lord? And there was a freshman that was very lonely, and, and uh, he says, hey, I'm getting ready to start a Bible study. Would you? The freshman's like, you're a junior. Why would you want? Well, I'm starting this Bible study. I want you to come on. I want to be your friend. Come, come, come be in this Bible study with me. Kid comes to Christ in the first meeting. And for the last two years, we've been bringing him to church, okay? And so more and more, this kind of thing is happening. And so if we can, if we can more and more lead people to Christ through Bible studies with the lost, well, now they're already primed for what we're talking about in terms of our discipleship philosophy. So they start attending, and everybody that they meet is talking to them about this path for growth. Man, we're just so excited. <laughs> you gave your life to Christ. You've come to the right place, man. We can help you grow. And so it's like, as a staff, we do very little of that talking. Unless it's in the weekly announcements or it's in the message. We're always working it into the messages. Um, they've already heard about it before I can get to them. Does that make sense? Um, and so what, whenever they want to, the cost of discipleship and our new members class are two different on-ramps to our path for growth. Anybody can go to the cost of discipleship. We've had people come to Christ in the cost of discipleship. You know, that's not the problem. The problem will be is, did they make an informed decision at the end of that class? And once they have, well, then we pair them up, and, and then they're off to the races. While they're going through discipleship, we try to plug them into a Bible study. We're working to build more relationships into their life because the more people get that vision, then the more people that are encouraging them, holding them accountable, and keeping them moving on the path to growth. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 We're, we're Did I miss the question then? No, no. no. Okay. We're, we're, we're a church plant. We're about nine and a half months old, ten months old. So oh, awesome. So a lot of it's uh, my wife and I. We're a lot of it's us, you know, because we have almost all new people. So we're we're building yeah. it, and it's a matter yeah. of, you know, I'm just thinking about how do I transition? And go, hey, you know what? Your next step is this, because we're doing the individual meeting with them, building them, yeah. working with them getting them in church, but we don't really have the... Yeah, 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 yeah. So you would have to formalize that. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you don't, again, if you're always building leaders, okay, that's another one of our mottos, <laughs> we're always making disciples, we're always building leaders, then as the church grows and matures, the, you, you want your people doing it because you want fruit for them at the judgment seat of Christ. 